You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning again, FMCC family. It's so good to see all of your faces this morning. I have the pleasure of reading a bit of scripture for you today. So um, go ahead and get comfortable because I'm going to read all of Exodus 14. (laughs) If you want to find it in your Bibles, I'll give you a second. Um, If you don't have one, there's some under the seats, some on the tables. And I'm going to make the plug for the YouVersion Bible app that you can also open and find it there. All right, I'm going to go now. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Behirath, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with them and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped by the sea by Pi-Heroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that have followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to jump into this. Welcome, so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Bill, one of the elders here, and uh, I'm excited to, to get into this story because there's so much that I believe that the Lord wants to teach me this morning, uh, and my hope is that the Spirit of God would stir something in you, that God would teach you as well um, how amazing He truly is. And so we're in the second week of a series called The Promise, and, and this is kind of where uh, Tim and I, as we have been praying over and our team have been praying over where we are to go in this season uh, we're going into the season of Advent, and so we're looking at the coming of Jesus. I mean, if you've been to Lowe's and Home Depot, you know Christmas is here, right? We've got lights. I mean, I hung my lights yesterday. What, what? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah, I got a couple. All right. Um, and so our neighborhood has like this battle on who can get them up first. And so I know that there's the Thanksgiving rule, but I used to be that guy. So, um, but we're, um, we're heading to the season, but a lot of times we can just kind of go through the motions and we, um, we think about the traveling plans and the family plans and the food plans, if you're a foodie like me, um, but often we fail to prepare our hearts and our minds for the remembrance of the coming of our Savior. That's what Advent is. It's this preparation of our hearts and our minds and our souls for the coming of Jesus. And and so we're, we're diving into the book of Exodus, and I know that that's not common for during Christmas time to go into Exodus, but, but there's some correlations that we're going to see all throughout this story because the story that we see in the book of Exodus is God is delivering his people through the wilderness and bringing them to the promised land. You and I are in a wilderness. This world is not our home. The thing is, is that there is a promise and that promise has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And for us, that is good news. Because it was because of his life, his death, and his resurrection 
that we can have a restored relationship with God, our Father. And so we we're coming into this story looking at the characters of God and who he is and seeing that he has fulfilled all of these promises in Jesus. And so last week, here's where we were at. We were looking at Exodus 13, and this is what we saw last week. There were three truths about how God leads his children. God always leads his children for their good and his glory. And then we looked at how God goes before his children and that God will not depart from his children. So last week, we, we looked at this main idea that God is our leader. And now this week, we get to look at how Jesus is our protector. And so I want you to think about, if you can, the biggest problem that you feel like you've ever faced in your life. I'll give you a second. The biggest problem that you've ever faced, the, the time or season of your life you face the most anxiety, the most hardship, the most um, fear. Uh, can anybody, is anything coming to mind? You don't have to share it, but you start having those things in your minds where, where you didn't know what tomorrow may bring. Um, I know for me, last week I shared uh, that I experienced death in my family at an early age. So my cousin, who is my age, she died when I was 11. Um, one of my friends died uh, in a tragic car accident. He was on his bicycle when I was 16. Uh, my parents divorced at 17. Uh, my wife and I have experienced miscarriage, um, trouble getting pregnant. So, so there have been seasons of my life where we've experienced that anxiety, that pain, that hurt, that brokenness. And then as I started recalling, like, man, what was a season where, where I just I felt like my back was up against the wall and I did not know what to do? And it actually was when COVID first hit. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's been almost two years, but it's only been two years. And so I think a lot of us just want it to be done with. We just want it to be over. Um, I don't know if you could remember back to those moments. I know for me, um, when the news started coming out and things started like saying, okay, things are shutting down, stay in your home, um, it almost seemed like a little bit like a movie, right? And so all of these like apocalypse type movies started rolling around in my mind and, and I didn't sleep for weeks. Um, I started having uh, real anxiety, which I've never experienced before in my life over uh, my finances, my family's safety, and, and all these things. I, I didn't know what to do with that. And I, you know, as you're like daydreaming, you know, I started like right before I'd try to fall asleep in bed, I'd be thinking about what if someone tries to break into my house? Like, what do I do in those moments? Do I share the gospel in my toilet paper or do I share a bullet? I mean, that's, I got these two options and, and there's a fine line between sharing my toilet paper and a bullet. So, you know, that's what we really, you know, I started counting my ammo. I don't, that's, it's just a Floridian thing to do, I guess, in Texas maybe. Um, but like I grew up in New York, like we didn't have like guns and ammo up there. Like that wasn't a common thing down here. It's very common. Um, but like you start thinking about things that you never, ever would think about before because of this fear and this anxiety of the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. And, and you have all these fears about what's about to take place. And that's really where we're entering into this story because the context of Exodus 14 is that the people of Israel has, have already faced a lot. They were being oppressed by the Egyptians, so the Israelites were, were taken into slavery. I mean, they were forced into manual labor, hard manual labor for the Egyptians. I mean, they were regulated and controlled with how many kids they could have, what type of kids they could have, all these things. And, and, and they were put to work and for four, over 400 years. And then Moses shows up and these plagues begin to happen. And so you've got uh, frogs, and I don't know if anybody's scared of frogs, but frogs and, and flies and locusts and, and these things. And, and then they experience this angel of death that passes through the land. And, and then Pharaoh lets them go, and so they, they 
plunder the Egyptians and they pick up and they start leaving. And, and then they're about to find themselves to what I think that they would say was probably the biggest problem that they will ever face, where they have their backs up against a sea and the army of Pharaoh is coming after them and they know the power and they know the strength of this army that's coming after them and they don't know what to do. And so as Kara read so beautifully, what we're seeing here in verses 1 and 2 is that God gives specific directions. God is not vague. The Bible says that God is not a God of confusion. I mean, look at verse 2. He says, tell the people of Israel to turn back. So they were actually headed in one direction to go somewhere. And God tells them, gives them directions to go back somewhere. And then he tells them to, to position themselves so that their back is up against the back of the sea and that they're looking forward. Now, if you're the people of Israel, this is before the army starts coming after them. I mean, these are pretty specific directions that God is giving. He wants them to camp out with their backs to the sea, looking out over what would have kind of just been this desert-type, hilly area. Um, and they would have just been sitting there waiting and watching, waiting for the next directions. And I think that um, sometimes we forget that God gives very specific instructions, that God gives directions. And I think in our culture, the biggest misunderstanding would be is that we believe that the Bible, for some reason, is a book of rules that are to hinder our fun. That's not what the Bible is at all. It's actually a guide to your greatest joy. God, in all of his wisdom, and all of his knowledge, has inspired the writing of this book. He says, if you do these things, you will experience great joy. Hey, it's better for you not to sleep with your neighbor's wife. It's better for you not to cheat and steal and plunder. It's better for you not to do these things. It's better for you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's going to bring you the most fulfillment. That's going to bring you the most joy. Care for the widows and the orphans. Because it will, it will fulfill your soul. I've created you to love one another. It's not to hinder our fun. It's to give us great joy. God gives us directions. God gives us his word so that we may know how to live our lives. We talk about the church, the gathering of the body. God gives us this for our joy, for our good. We shouldn't come here begrudgingly. Come here thinking like, oh, another, got to go here again. I'd rather be sleeping. No, he says he gives us the, the family to participate in to enjoy for our good and his glory. And God also wants them to see what's coming. God wants them to see what's coming. So his directions are very specific. And then look at verse 4. God reveals his sovereignty. What does he say? And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue after them, the Israelites. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I mean, he's just revealing who he is, that he's in control. That there's not one molecule in the entire universe that is outside the control and sovereignty of God. 
love what R.C. Sproul says. If, if that's true, if there is one molecule, then God ceases to be God. That he is fully in control. And, and often our doubt comes in because we don't think he's in control. Because if we were to write the story, we would write it differently. But just because we would write it differently doesn't mean that God's not in control. And then look at verses 10 through 12. The people respond. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. They're facing that way. All they had to do was look. And they see these chariots, this big cloud of smoke potentially coming out from behind the chariot's wheels, coming towards them, barreling down. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Humans are complainers. Anybody agree with that? Now, I know you're not, but, but everybody else. I mean, come hang out at my house for just a bit. I've got four little girls. Man, they are sweet as all get out, and they complain often. Hang out with me for a little bit. Mama, I can complain as well. But is this my, <laughs> preach it. Is this my normal response? I mean, to allow my fear to cause doubt in my God? Because what do they do? Egyptians are marching after them. They fear greatly. They cry out to the Lord. They say to Moses, is this because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken away for us to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out here from Egypt? We'd rather have been there. We should have stayed there. We should have, we should have just, you know, stayed back in Egypt. That would have been much better for me. But then we get to Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And God now speaks. So we've got these Egyptian army coming after them. They're coming hard after them. Their backs are up against a sea. And they are saying, are, like, why not just let us die in Egypt? Just kill us off then. And instead, like, now you're going to have us die this gruesome death out here in the wilderness. And what, is not enough graves in, in Egypt to bury us? Now we've got to die out here in no man's land? And here's what Moses says to the people. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only need to be silent. So three things we see here that Moses commands them to do. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I love, I love the Hebrew word here because the Hebrew word here, it actually is the same word that's used when Adam was in the Garden of Eden. And he took of the fruit and he ate it. And they hid. Why did they hide? Because he was afraid. That's the same word there. Because of his sin, because of his disobedience from God, he hides. Now the same word here, right, says Fear not. Fear, this word, is, is do not hide. Do not bury your head in the ground. Do not freak out. Fear not. And this is what is the difference between verse 10 fear and verse 31 fear. Because in verse 10, the Israelites are looking out and they're, they're watching this army coming after them and they're fearing. But then in verse 31... After God delivers them through the Red Sea and they stand on the other side and God has wiped out the Egyptian army, what does it say in verse 31? It says that they feared the Lord. But there's a big difference between those two things. 
because of what comes right after that. It says, they feared the Lord and believed in his power, his sovereignty, his control. And so, it says, fear not. And then it says, stand firm. Take a stand. Set your feet on a secure foundation. Hold your ground. Be confident in where you stand because you know that the foundation in which you stand will not shake. And then he says, watch. See what Yahweh is going to accomplish for you. When you know who your dad is, you don't have to worry. Do you know what I mean by that? When you're a little kid, your dad is huge. Your dad is powerful. At least how, how my girls look at me, at least for now. With every single one of my girls, I've had this experience where they were trying to do something, right? They were, they were walking over somewhere and they were, they were like trying to move a chair and they're like, Daddy, can you help me? And I come over and I pick it up and I'm like, wow, Daddy, you're so strong. Yes, I am. What else can I pick up? What do you need from me, right? Daddy, I remember the time where, where Sailor looked up at me and she said, Daddy, you are the strongest man ever. I'm like, and don't you forget that. When, when you're 16 and that boy comes around, you tell him that. When you know your dad, when you trust your dad, you don't have to fear. Now, I know for some of us, we don't have a good relationship with our fathers. And so that doesn't really hit home, if you will. That we, for some reason, we, we've been uh, allowed by God to experience heartache in our relationship with our fathers. But God is not the replication of our earthly fathers. He's the perfection of what a father should be and what a father is. And we have a dad who loves us and he will part seas for us. All we have to do is fear not and stand firm and watch and see the salvation that he is going to bring. Why? Because the Lord is going to fight for you. I often think that we fail to remember the promise that's found here in Exodus 14. That we have a God that fights for us. The Bible in, in the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, after he lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we couldn't die and rose again, that he was brought up and he, he sat next to the Father and he sits there continuously advocating on our behalf you know what that means? That we have a God that is for us. And any time we mess up, and any time we screw up, and any time that we struggle, that, that God is looking at us and Jesus is going, I got him. I got him. He's with us. He's mine. Like I'm securing him. He's advocating on our behalf continuously. The Bible says that the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So that when we're sitting there and we're crying and we're, we're scared and we don't know what to do, that we can say, no, 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 the Lord will fight for us. Why? Because the Spirit of God, even when we don't know what to pray, prays on our behalf. 
This is the most humanly scary situation that Israel has ever been in up until this point. But it's not their biggest problem. So I think when you and I think of problems, when we think of what we struggle with, we think of over our lives, we can think of many uh, very tangible events. But there is not any event that we will ever experience in our entire life, including death, that will ever trump the problem that we have when we are born into sin, that we are born separated from a holy God. It may seem like the biggest problem that Israel has ever faced, but it's not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is that they don't believe in the salvation of the Lord. See, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned, they severed relationship with God because of their disobedience. And this chasm of sin had to be overcome by something. So for them in the Old Testament, there were these sacrifices that they would do. They would, they would uh, kill bulls and goats and birds to atone for their sins, to, to plead for forgiveness, to cover their sins. But we're looking towards Christmas, the birth of a baby, where the holy God who spoke creation into being, right? That's what it says. It says in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, that, that he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, that, that he spoke and created. So when we look back at Genesis 1, it says God spoke and there was light and there was mountains. Like Jesus was creating all things. All things were created in him and through him and by him and for him. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us in the form of a helpless baby to grow up so that you and I can murder him on a cross. And I was like, well, we didn't murder him and we didn't do that. I know myself, and I, I think I want to put myself in the situation of the disciples often, where, like, if I put myself in, like, when the disciples and Jesus were all hanging out, and then the army came, and, and then they, like, you know, try to arrest Jesus, and Peter comes out with his sword, right? That's, that's where I put myself. Like, I put myself with, like, Peter, where I'm like, yeah, I'm pulling my sword out, and I'm, I'm cutting guys' ears off just for, because I love Jesus so much. Chances are, I would have been in the crowd chanting, crucify him. Why? Because of my sin. Because in my human state, I'm opposed to God because I want to be my own God. Self-sufficiency, like, that's me. Like, the, the biggest idol in my life is me. I want to dictate what I do and when I do it and how I do it. And so often I think we can play the hero, but often if we were honest with ourselves. I think we can figure out that we're more like the Israelites going, oh, so scared. Why did you do this to us, God? I'm like that more than I'm like Peter trying to lock people's ears off. Or Paul going and preaching the gospel into a city, getting beat up, dragged outside, standing up and going back in. First rocks thrown at me, I'm like, I'm out. says the Lord will fight for you. The greatest problem we will ever face is not COVID. It's not political. It's not financial. It's that you and I are eternally separated from our Creator. 
and there's no amount of good works and pulling up our bootstraps and hard work and success that is going to be able to fill in the gap between us and God. Now, often what we may hear in our culture is that if you try hard enough and do good enough, then, then God will love you. There is nothing good that you can do to make God love you more. And there's also nothing bad that you can ever do to make God love you any less. God's love is perfect. He is the definition of love. And when he calls his people unto himself, I think this is an identity issue here. The Israelites, you know what they're working out here? They're working out their identity. They're forgetting that they've already been chosen by God to be his people. They're forgetting that the God that they serve and the God that they sing to and the God that they pray to and the God that they have read about in their history, that God is their father. This is an identity issue that they're struggling with. Their fear is coming out of the fact that they don't believe they are who God says they are because they don't realize and recognize who he is. He is love. And so when we begin to understand that our identity is a child of God, then when Paul writes in Romans 8.35 that we will endure trouble and hardship and persecution and hunger and poverty and danger and death, those are the problems that he names. Seven problems. Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, or death. The prosperity gospel would say, if you believe in God, then you're never going to face those things. The Bible says you will endure those things. But it says in all of those things, Romans 8, 37, all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loves us. It is because of Jesus that none of those things will ever overcome us, even to the point of death. I am so short-sighted because for me, I think that the worst thing I'm ever going to face in life is death. And God's saying, that's not even going to separate me from him because I've been deemed a child of God. This world is not my home. Life air that we breathe, the Bible says, is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is fleeting. So if our purpose in life is to build a kingdom here, gather all the stuff we can, and, and spend our days golfing and fishing, then yeah, life is meaningless. But if we trust in God as our protector, then every problem we will ever face is going to be swallowed up by trusting God. So the Israelites are sitting, watching this army come after them. They're turning around and they're seeing this water behind them going, we have nowhere to go. This is exactly the place where God placed them. This is exactly the place that God directed them to go. They had to actually turn back to get here. And so, I think we forget that God is in the business of parting seas. 
everything impossible that we were ever, ever face. And he doesn't just do enough to get by. He doesn't just do enough to where, where it's like, all right, I'll, uh, this is going to go away for a little bit and then come back and go away for and come back. But God actually wipes out what is pursuing, pursuing to destroy us. What does it say? Down in verse 13 through 14 and, and on as we go down throughout the passage into verse 31. God says, you will never see them again. Like, I'm going to allow you to walk on dry ground. And then the water is going to come over them. And you'll never see them again. So what are we supposed to do with this? What, are, like, what, are, what do we do with this? Because we're going to face problems. We know that. Like, for the remainder of our lives, we will face problems. There will be sickness and addiction and hardship and, and fights. Anybody excited about the holidays coming up? Is anybody maybe dreading the holidays because that means family? And there's some hardship there. Some relationships that may need to be restored. If that's the case, like, what are we supposed to do with this? Because we will face problems. What does God say in verse 14? It says, be silent, be still. Because God is about to move. And the biggest problems that you will face in the most difficult seasons, the most difficult relationships, the most difficult hardships, God is about to move, no matter what your Red Sea is. So what do we need to do? We need to admit our weakness. Admit that we can't do it alone. We can't logic it out. We can't figure it out. The 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So I want you to think about what's causing those fears and anxieties in your life like these Israelites are experiencing. What are, the, what are the things that's causing you to doubt God? What are the things in your life that's causing you not to trust in his power and his sovereignty? COVID, finances, adoption, divorce, sickness, addiction. God's saying, be still. Because I'm about to part the sea. And I want us to know this. He may part the sea in a way that we don't expect or no. He may do something that we're not necessarily wanting him to do. But going back to last week, we have to remember that God does all things for our good and his glory. When, when we had our first foster son come, come into our home, it wasn't our plan that he would leave our home. But for some reason, God had orchestrated to where we had to give him back to his family. And then a second foster son comes into our home. And it was our plan to, to love him as our son. And then he had to get placed with a family friend. Those moments, we don't choose those things. We don't, we don't orchestrate things in the way that we think that they're, they're that like we could fight for it. We could try hard and we could, we could really go after it, but it doesn't always work out the way we want it to. But we can see Throughout all of history for God's people, God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. And, and it may be us feeling like we're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But God knows what he's doing and we have to trust him because ultimately this life that feels long and feels hard and feels difficult is but a vapor. And so we trust him and he says, be still. 
no matter what, because I am going to part the sea. And I love what Psalm 121 says, and the bank can come back on up. So David is fearing what's going to come. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here's, here's the challenge for me, for you, is where you sit right now, those fears, those anxieties, those problems that you're facing, are you going to allow those things to draw you closer to God? Or are you going to allow those things to build a wedge between you and God? The devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And what the devil wants, the devil wants to put a wedge between you and the creator of all things. The devil wants you to doubt. He wants you to, to fear. He wants you to be anxious. He wants you to believe that God is not for you. He wants you to believe that, that God is actually out to get you. That's what the devil wants you to believe. So whose voice are you listening to? When the problems arise, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the devil who is is continually telling you that you're not good enough? Telling you that, that oh, that thing that you did last week is gonna make you, you know, God's not, not, not listening, God doesn't care about you. He's out to spite you. God is out for a good laugh. None of that is seen in here. God is not out to get you. The Bible says that God loves you. It says he is for you. And he says if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Now I know we're not in Israel's shoes where we have our backs up against the sea with an army coming towards us. But I would imagine that I'd be pretty freaked out. I could imagine that I would think this is my pending doom. I mean, we just celebrated Veterans Day. Why are we celebrating Veterans Day? Because we have men and women in our country that have fought for our freedoms that have experienced war, that have had bullets flying, have their friends hurt, killed in battle. We're celebrating people that have given their lives for our country. War is real because sin is real. Wherever there is sin, there will be war. But in a few short weeks, we're going to stop. The world is going to stop. And we're going to pause. We're going to shut down school. And we're going to, uh, we're going to close stores. And we're all going to gather with friends and family. Why? Because a baby was born in a little stable. Wrapped in whatever they could find laid down in a food trough so that you and I can be children of God. That's what we're celebrating. So we lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus is our protector. Let's pray. Father, I don't make light of problems. I don't make light of hardship. I know that 
all of us sit here and we have experienced hurt and brokenness and shame and guilt and burdens beyond what we can bear. But I pray right now, God, that we trust your promise that you will protect us, that on you is a secure foundation, that we are to fear not and stand firm and just watch because you are about to move. You're about to move in our addictions. You are about to move in our brokenness. You are about to move in our heartache, in our pain, in our wandering. You are going to move, God, and you are calling us to watch and be still so that we may know that you are God. So God, we believe this, but we also ask that you would help in our unbelief. Because often, God, the devil in the world around us tells us to doubt you, tells us that you don't care, tells us that you're distant, And so, God, I pray we would believe the promises found in your word. If you are for us, then nothing can be against us. So I pray for the, your spirit to cultivate in us a trust, a hope, a desire to know you more, to love you more, to trust you more, And then, God, when you ask us to move, when you ask us to do something, when you you ask us to go and ask for forgiveness for a relationship of somebody that's hurt us, when you ask us to go restore a relationship that we feel like wasn't even our problem that started in the first place, God, I pray that we would listen. Because, God, you are the restorer of all things, of all relationships, of all brokenness, of all hurt, of all pain. God, if we're here today and we are suffering from addiction, I pray that people, whoever it may be, would come to the elders, to our deacons, and that they would confess so that they can start a path of health, that they can start a path of freedom. You have not created us to do this alone. So God, I know that there are chains that need to be broken. I know that there is fear that needs to be broken. So God, part the seas of our lives that that we stand in fear of so that we may walk on dry ground. Protect us, lead us, guide us. Help us to fear not and stand firm. In your name that we pray. Amen.